0: This is Marcia Epstein, and this is Talk With Me, and I am in Lawrence, Kansas. My producer is in Lawrence, Kansas. He is with LawrenceHits.com. Who knows where our guests are each time, and that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. I've moved back to the United States for this show. That's a funny thing to say, but it's been such a blast recording with other people who are actually associated with... um, the same small press. And as you might know, as I've learned that most writers are not associated with only one press, but I will say that today's guest comes to us thanks to Wolfgang Karsten's poet, publisher, and more of Epic Rights Press. This writer is one of the people who was hand-selected by Wolfgang to be part, to have a book that is part of one of the Epic Writes punk chapbook series. Um, and for those of you who don't yet know Epic Rights Press, go there, look at what's on that site, and you'll get a feel for what is going on there. And it's really powerful, wonderful writing really hits home, really about life and living fully, 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 fully. And so I'm really excited to get to meet this person today who not only is published by Epic Rights Press, but a whole bunch of other places. And uh, we'll hear more about what he's up to and hear some of his writing. Welcome, James H. Duncan. Hey, Marcia, great to be here. Good to do this. And, and I've been mentioning and didn't mention yet that it is October of 2017, <laughs> which means something special about one of your books because it's almost time for a new one. But just tell us a little bit about you. Sure, yeah. Uh well, I always start out by telling people
1: that I'm the editor of Hobo Camp Review. It's a little tiny slice of the internet that I'm pretty proud of, a quiet little corner where uh, poets and writers come and share stories from the road and from their life and um we've been going for about 9 years now there.
2: Wow. and
1: uh yeah, uh and outside of that, I uh, I've I've always been a writer, uh, but I only started writing poetry in my mid 20s, uh but I started as a short story writer and uh, transitioned to poetry and working on my fifth novel slowly right now. So I oh, like wow. to keep it uh like to keep it diverse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Hobo Camp Review, even the name. When I think it's funny because I had this <laughs> great I have this longtime friend who's kind of a wild man in different ways and and one of the things he would seriously do was he would hop on trains and, and he at times would, would live in ways that most people don't choose to live, living on a sandbar in the river. And, you know, and he would refer to hobos at times from his wild experiences. So tell me a little bit about Hobo Camp Review the title first, and then we'll talk about what it is.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when I was, a kid around, I think it was around first grade. We had one of those, you know, everyone sits on the floor in a circle and we talk about what we want to be when we grow up. And, you know, the kids are like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. And I was like, I I kind of want to be a hobo. And they're like, what's that? (laughs) And, And I'm like, well, you get to like, ride trains all day and you get to like sit by a campfire and you get to cook whatever you want. And no one tells you what to do and you get a dog. And, and all of a sudden everyone around the circle was like, Hey, that sounds good. I want to do that. I'm like, yeah, we should do this. All of us. Um,
2: and it was, it was
1: just something that, you know, I used to see on, on old movies and you just, I don't know. It was just something I like saw and latched onto. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of dig that. And when I was older, I was thinking of, um, you know, I I decided I want to do a little press. I was, it was around 2009 and I really wasn't seeing a lot of poetry at that time that I was really into. I was getting a little tired of like trying to track it down. So
2: uh-huh.
1: I said, I'm going to make a press and I'll, instead of me hunting down poets, I want to read of the type of poets I want to read come to me. It was kind of selfish, but, and maybe lazy, but, um, and so, yeah, I was trying to think of a name it's of, like, discerning. a place it's where, like, a selfish. gathering place, and I was thinking of the, fire, the campfire, and under, uh-huh. like, a railroad trestle at night, and uh-huh. we're all sitting around telling, you know, stories and poetry, and then, uh-huh. so that's
0: kind of where... The whole vibe came from. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah. I think that's very discerning. I think that idea of, you know, and that's one of the things that I've learned from some of the people I've gotten to know who have small presses. They have a vibe. They had, there's a certain thing that makes this a piece that would be good to be published by this press. And, you know, I'll shout out to my friend, Scott Thomas Outlaw, um, and his site is 17 Numa, but he's got, he's got this, the whole thing I and mean, he said you know that he started kind of tracking down where poets he liked were connected and then mm-hmm. you know go from the poet to the presses the journals those kinds of things to really get a feel for who was doing stuff that he was really interested in and and ultimately where he might also send work to be potentially printed and so i think that's something to, to be you know really like that's a really good thing that, that you had this image of this set of people, you know, and, and to me again that's discernment. That's not that's not, you know, being lazy, man. That's like saying this is <laughs> this is what I wanna be immersed in and so, you know, put that out in the world and, and I will track down some people and some will find me too. That's very cool. I also wanna ask about the the childhood thing. So like did your parents get a bunch of calls from parents of other kids in your class going, My kid wasn't in a homo. Tell your kid to stop saying that
1: <laughs> I, I highly
0: doubt it. Yeah. I, I, when I was in
1: elementary school, I, I don't think the um teachers are really uh, the other students took me too seriously. I was oh, okay. I was the kid who was like sent to the principal's office like once a month and so well, at a certain heard. point they're just like, "Oh yeah, James is just saying crazy stuff again." So um
2: <laughs> I, in fact, I there, was a, there
1: was a time I I got sent to the principal's office and I decided not to go and I just wandered the hallways for half an hour and I came back and um and she said, well, did you go? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, what did the principal say to you? I'm like, "Yeah," he said, just don't do it again. And uh, she said, yeah, I think not. So that was one <laughs> time when, yeah, the parents got a call. and
2: um, Yeah. That's funny. Uh, That's funny.
0: <sighs> so you wanted to be a hobo. You know, when I was talking recently to Brenton Booth, he was talking about, or no, excuse me, to Yana Carlson, he was talking about how they saw a lot of cowboy movies. So there must have been a thing about, you know, there's these certain themes that have come up in people's lives because of TV shows and stuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Old TV shows, old movies. Yeah. You
0: know, those things that we see and experience when we're kids,
1: they really stay with you, you know? And so, I mean, when you have like good, warm experiences like that, funny things or something, you know, that can you know that can affect you in a good way, and and that's yeah. why you know all these terrible things that happen to like you know kids when they're younger. You know that stuff stays with them, so it's it's, yeah, it's sure. Uh,
0: good when the good stuff that. stays too. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Did you did you ever have a point in your rebellious teens or early adulthood when you, like, okay, I'm gonna try this thing. I'm gonna jump on the train.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a bit of a, yeah, good move there, rebellious, you know, just, uh, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I'm going to write poetry. Well, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah. so you Definitely a rebellious you said- way to go, you know.
0: Yeah, go ahead, yeah. be a writer, you know. Yeah. Enjoy. So- you started writing. What what got you to start writing at all? I know you said that you, you just said. I <laughs> um
1: not 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 rebelliousness uh, for me. Uh, more of just being kind of a shy bookworm. Um something I talk about in the new book coming out um is I spent a lot of time as a kid like writing in my room, um, you know, my own comic books or my own little stories. And just for the fun of it, I just liked doing it. I could spend hours um you know, every weekend, just just sitting there writing. And I never really thought of it as being like a career. I, I thought it was just something I just always wanted to do. And uh, so I focused on fiction a lot through high school, college, and um, didn't really pay any attention to poetry until... I went through a pretty bad breakup uh, in my mid 20s, and I was unemployed at the time, and I was drinking a little too much, and I wasn't feeling creative or inspired, and I was a little lost, didn't know where to go. Um, And I was walking through a bookstore, and I saw a name on the shelf, uh, and this guy in college, uh, John Callahan, used to say, You know, you got to read this guy, Bukowski. And I, I pulled it out, and and I started to read a little bit and he was writing about things that I really felt like at that point in my life I could connect with, yeah. not just connect with like he's writing about the things that I feel like I'm experiencing some of that, but he was it's such a simple way of putting things that I thought oh, I could do that. Maybe this isn't so tough. And I sat down <laughs> and I wrote a bunch of poetry and I looked at it now, you know, years later, I'm like, wow, that was really bad poetry, but mm-hmm. you know, you got to start somehow. Yeah. And so he was like my gateway drug and, um, <laughs> I don't read him nearly as much as I used to, but I, I still have a fond, uh, place in my heart for him because he kind of, open that door for me. It did a lot yeah. for me. It, it kind of saved me, it gave me something to do, therapy, you know. It was great.
0: Yeah. Well, I've had, it's funny because a, a lot of the male poets who I've talked to say that that they wrote bad love poetry. You know, that was how they started in, in middle school or high school, you know, and that's not that's not your story. But, you know, pretty much everybody who I've talked to who does write really well writes really powerful poetry now you know they recognize that you don't start out doing that you know it's it's like everything you you have to keep working on it you have to keep you know bringing influences of both your life and and other people's writing to really inspire you to to really build you know who you are as a writer over time you know it's not it's not easy. Oh, absolutely.
2: Sure. And, that,
1: and that stays with you throughout your life. You know, it's not just, oh, yeah, when I started, I was terrible. I'll look at something I wrote like a year ago and be like, 2016, James? He sucked. <laughs> um, it's just, it. you get better and you get better and you get better. And I, I feel like I'm going to be a better writer tomorrow than I am today. And it's just, uh-huh. that's why revision is so important in everything you do. Um uh-huh you know, you can write something and just put it away for three months and pick it up again and, and tweak it a little bit. And it's going to be world's better because you're a better writer. You know more, you've experienced more. And it's, uh, I mean, there's the idea of like poetry. I don't do that as much because I like the poem being a snapshot of who I was in that time. So I don't want to play with it too much, Uh but, um, when it comes to fiction, definitely, um, it's, it's, you're always going to be better
0: next week. Huh? You don't think you ever have any setbacks?
2: (laughs)
1: Oh no, not me. Yeah. It's all it's all up up up. The day I feel like I had to step back, okay, I'll, I'll quit and just, you know, pull the plug on the whole thing.
0: But. And you you said that you're working on a novel right now. Gosh, there's so much so much to to think about in terms of what you're writing and things you're saying about writing cuz you know, I think about about people one, some of us when we were in school, the way we were introduced to any kind of art, but poetry in particular was very rigid, you know, and then it's like, no, that's not how poetry has to be, you know? And and I'm I'm always interested, like you were talking about poetry as a snapshot in time, but also a lot of times a poem has a whole different set, set of meanings at another time because things in your life and in the world have changed, you know? And and that's really enthralling as well. And right now, I wonder, would you share some of your poetry now? Just because I think it's great to have some examples.
1: Sure, yeah, let me dig this up. Um, I got a whole bunch of poems here from the new book coming out um, in the next week or two uh, called We Are All Terminal, But This Exit Is Mine. Um, coming out from unknown press. Uh, I don't know if you know, bud Smith, he runs uh, unknown press. He does a really, really, really great job with a lot of people. Um, and I was psyched when he was like, yeah, man, let's do a book together. I was like, Oh, awesome. This is great. Um, but the very first poem in the book is, is one that he actually pulled out and said, this is the one that has to go first. So um, I figured I would start with this one. It's uh, called, there's this dream I have. Outpatient treatments take place in the children's ward, a hive of small rooms with curtains for doors, each with an IV stand next to a hard bed where, if I'd arrived two hours earlier or later, I would have found a small, bald child and his or her parents in room number 27. Instead, I tell the nurse I'm fine when she checks on me, and I lay back, stare up through the glass ceiling, my arms wrapped in foul smelling purple gauze, and I slowly fall asleep again. It's the same dream as last week. I've had it three times since I began chemotherapy. That one time as a child when I walked through the woods north of the trailer park alone, hoping to find that old tree fort Ricky's older brother said he built years ago. I missed it somehow and found myself in a clearing in the woods, quiet, a small headstone alone among the wildflowers and stunted saplings. It was sunny. I wanted to read the headstone, read the date, but an overpowering sense of dread came over me, the feeling that I was intruding on something deeply private. I was 11 and lost, and I didn't want to die alone, so I ran, from, I ran from that place back to the trailer park, only feeling safe again once I hit those streets, racing beneath those weak orange lamppost lights that had just clicked on in the evening dim. I never went back to that clearing, never asked about that headstone. When the nurse shook my shoulder, she said everything was going to be okay, that this can be an emotional time for anyone. She gave me tissues to wipe my eyes and then pulled the curtain shut. My IV monitor beeped to tell me I had time left. I sat on the hard bed, alone among a city of towers. Streets never empty. The sun pouring in from above. I wanted to run, but there wasn't anywhere left to go. So I waited as the poison dripped. Dripped.
0: Well, that's intense to think about in so many ways. And I'm guessing a lot of people, a lot of people who read and hear that poem are going to have some their own experiences with cancer and cancer treatment personally and a lot of us with with friends and family um, both people who are surviving and people who who have died because of the cancers and so it's that's that's pretty hard hitting and and beautiful in that you know it's this is this is the the reality this is hard stuff
1: yeah, and, and you know the book didn't start out as as a as a collection of poems about going through that experience. In fact, when I was going through that experience, I specifically didn't want to write poetry about it. And this is not to disparage people who do, of course, but I do I had the kind of a passing thought of like I don't want to be a cancer poet after this. Yeah. But it dawned on me later that, you know, I it, it really so I went through so many mental and emotional things during that time that it's it's worth writing about and during that time I was writing poems about being a kid and growing up in like a trailer park and not feeling like I fit in and having all these dreams about what I wanted to do when I grew up and how a lot of them you know the things you're told as a kid don't always come true and the the hopes and aspirations you have kind of fizzle out and you kind of get lost in life and paired with I'm going through this now and I'm looking back on that time and really feeling like Uh, really feeling all these nostalgic feelings and like i really wish i could go back to that time and do it all again and just just be there and and soak it up um the the poems started to meld into each other and uh the idea of writing about cancer didn't feel so um scary but it, it felt like something i was embracing a little more and the two different collections sort of became one and that poem in particular uh, Bud picked out because he said he liked how it really had a foot in both worlds you know it was Uh about growing up and it was about dealing with this now and how they're both connected
0: yeah yeah so what what would you like to share in terms of your experience separate from this this poem that you just shared um, in terms of me and other listeners having some understanding of of your experience with this with cancer.
2: uh well, it's definitely
1: not a thing I've talked about a lot. It's it's something that even even um, a couple of years now after chemo, it's not something I've. I, I. It was easier for me to write about it and then give it to somebody to read than it was for me to you know pull a friend aside and be like, hey, man. Went through cancer, uh, it's it, it was it was funny like that. I especially during the time I didn't really mention it to almost anybody. Um,
2: yeah.
1: It was just something I wanted to. I didn't want other people to be afraid or wondering. You know, how, you know, week to week how things are going. I kind of wanted to, to deal with it and and kind of overcome it and then be like, okay, this is a thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and it's different for every. A single person that goes through it and yeah. there's no right or wrong way to you know deal with it or tell people about it um uh-huh. but for me it, it was something that you know like I said at the time I wasn't writing a lot about it but I knew I was going to later and I, I wanted that kind of time to go by so I could look back and reflect on it and write about that time
0: uh-huh.
1: rather than writing in that time
2: uh-huh. I think there's a bit of a difference there
0: yeah 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 so, how long of a time period was it for you, um, most recently, that you were dealing intensively with this? Uh, yeah, well, I'm still.
1: Well, I was diagnosed in 2013, and um, they went about a year before they decided to do chemo. They were trying all these other different, different uh, um, lower-level treatments, all these pills and shots and things, and it was it was painful. It was. Um, I was sick all the time. There was, there was one point where I was taking like 12 different pills throughout the course of the day. And, um, yeah. And and then they said, okay, no, you got to go through the real deal, the whole thing for about six months. And, um, and I did, and it wasn't so strong where I was like losing weight and losing hair. People didn't know I'd go to readings or I'd go out with friends. And if I didn't say anything about it, they never would have guessed. And it was, it became kind of this, weird like i would put on a mask and go out and i would be normal normal james and but people just didn't know and it was it was i don't know it was it was a strange experience of having this thing inside that people don't see so they don't expect it or if they and some some people you know who did kind of know but they're like oh yeah but you seem great and it's like yeah i know i seem great but like you don't know what it's like when i go home and it's just you know curled up on the floor just in pain all night and you don't want people to know that because you don't, I don't know. I didn't want them to feel bad or upset. Um, it was just something I just had to get through,
2: uh-huh.
1: but um, chemo didn't take. And uh, another year went by and I was reached out, uh, uh doctor reached out to me and he um, said, we've got this experimental study. It's this pill you take. We don't know if it's going to work or not. And the cancer had gotten much, much worse to the point where um, it really wasn't looking great. And that's something else I didn't share with a lot of people. Is that it, it, um, it was really getting kind of advanced. And um, so I started this, these pills and uh, I'm in this uh, study down in New York and I am in great shape right now as far as uh, cancer goes. Um, it started to just evaporate and went away. And I'm excited for the study to be over so other people who have what I have can, um, you know, tap into this kind of new, new type of treatment that kind of targets your genes. And it's explained to me over and over again, and it's, it's, I'm not a doctor. It's always going to go over my head a little bit. But um, it, it's kind of fascinating that this is the thing that works it's a thing that works and you don't have to go through hell to have it work. So
2: uh-huh.
1: um, I'm really excited that people down the line are going to be able to live normal lives without a lot yeah. of pain. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, I'm, I want to be respectful and so stop me at whatever point, but I, I want to kind of generalize what you said in that what what you just shared is that you were going through something that was obviously a time when, when you didn't know how long you would live. You didn't know, you know, there were lots of uncertainty and you were able to mask that at times enough to be able to do things like readings and some socializing, but also you had these excruciating times, you know, when you were home alone and really dealing with it. And, and what I think, you know, as I heard you describe that, is that lots of people have lots of different versions of that exact experience of mm-hmm. that. I I have to put on this way of being in the world, um, and and you know, kind of like everything's okay, and and do the things people do, but there's this other thing that's going on that's really so terrifying, and I don't even want people to know, and I don't know how they would react, and I can't deal with their reactions, and and so you know, I'm I'm, I'm what I'm where I'm headed is, I think there's a universality to what you just shared, and and so then I'm leading to this question, which is, you know, is some of your writing in whatever kinds of writing, does some of your writing, kind of put that out into the world that that part of having to to hide something really significant
1: i there's probably there's probably some uh some work that i've done where i have specifically addressed that or maybe subtly addressed that maybe that's a better way to put it because it's something that i know i would like to explore a little bit more that 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 feeling of um And not just, you know, I'm going to put on this mask and go out there. I don't want people to know, but it's the sense of, I'm determined to maintain the normalcy of my life. And, you know, the next six hours you're going to be out, you're going to be with people, you're going to be reading. I'm going to be who I am. And, you know, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to limp there and I'm going to straighten myself up and walk in the door and no one's going to know because that's who I want to be. And I'm not going to let the cancer, you know, stop that. And, so there's that element to it too. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got another piece I could read that kind of touches on, you know, kind of the, the dichotomy of like being out there and then what happens at home when no one's around and you kind of let yourself go a little bit. Um, this one's called day beyond day, dusty floorboards littled with flakes of scalp, skin, hair, human detritus in decline, medicinal wrappers, tissues, damp bath towels, The sound of a wounded animal escapes the throat, surprising the ears, the body shivering and losing. There is a memory of a car by the side of the road 20 years prior, the young boy throwing up into the weeds and gravel by a shallow ditch, his mother coming around the car to rub his back, just another trailer trash kid trying to hold it together until the doctor can prescribe some pink medicine that tastes chalky and sweet. And in this way, the march to fifth grade goes on, sixth to seventh, more grades afterward, A whole life waiting beyond the sound of the car door closing. And now, deep breathing. No more grades. No more hand to rub the back. No sunshine glinting off the trickle of water in the ravine on the side of the road. Just a dusty floor and deep breathing. And maybe something beyond the sound of the bedside lamp clicking off for the night. But there's only one way to
0: find out. And so these are the, these are poems of such personal and deep experience that i'm, you know, I'm left a little speechless and and I don't want <laughs> I don't, I don't like bring this down you know what i mean it's like i i'm so so a believer that we need to put these experiences out into the world because there are always other people who are desperate to know that somebody else got through this, you know, that somebody else, um, is, is able to talk about this thing that they can't talk about, that, that they're not alone in their experience. And so,
1: and I really do think it's true that if you want to write something that it's really universal, that other people can tap into and really feel an emotional connection with, you can't write big, 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 big. You gotta, you gotta really bring it down and focus on, the, the most minute detail of that moment that you were experiencing. And when I wrote that, it was, it was like after, afterwards a little bit, but I remember so many evenings where I just like, I'm just, you know, crawling to bed literally and just lying on the floor and just like breathing deeply. And like, okay, you, you got, you're just gonna get up on your knees and then you're going to pull yourself up in bed and then you're going to turn the light out. But in that moment while you're giving yourself this pep talk and just like your face is right there on the floor and the grains of dirt and yeah. dust and everything, it's just accumulated right there. And I think, you know, that specific little detailed moment is something that that's what people who have either have gone through it and they're like, yeah, I know that moment or that's what other people who haven't gone through it can see that and go, Jesus, that's that's what makes me understand it more than just like you telling me about, you know, you know, over the course of the year, what happened, that little moment tells you more. And so, yeah, if you want to write universal, you got to focus on
2: the details.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. So the, these two poems that you've shared so far are from your newest book that's coming out in, I guess, next week. Uh, yeah, we had
1: Halloween as our target. Um we we've, we've been shooting because uh, there's a, some there's some Halloween poems in here too. A lot of the poetry is uh, October and is my favorite time of year. I love Halloween and a lot of the poems were like looking back on that as a kid and being so excited that autumns here and um some Halloween poems and and things like that. So yeah, we were like, Halloween's gonna be perfect. And there's like a skeleton on the cover of the book. This is a great painting by a friend of mine, Alicia. She let me use it. And um but uh you know typically, you know, in publishing, okay, we're gonna we'll get some proofs and check it out. Okay, we need to tweak this. We've got to tweak that. And so it might be a little bit longer. Um but it's gonna be, if not Halloween, very early November. And uh yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. It's definitely my most personal collection
0: uh-huh. and and the title again is we are all terminal but
1: uh, This exit oh, is go. mine <laughs> uh we are all terminal but this exit is mine yes.
0: yeah uh-huh. yeah and and you as people are listening this is james h duncan and this particular book is coming out through unknown press and so you know i think i, I want people to know that i want people to have the opportunity to look and find the book that they're they're hearing these these amazing words from yeah
2: thank you yeah yeah i'm pretty excited
0: and so stories from childhood moments as well as from adulthood and and the merging of those into this yeah yeah and and i i guess i didn't i probably haven't looked closely at the book cover but the fact that it's based on original artwork from a friend that's beautiful as well gosh
1: yeah, there was a friend of mine who posted just, just a painting, and it was this red and blue, um, just kind of abstract piece with this swirling white ghost in, like, a circle with, like, there's a finger pointing, and the, it's, uh, not ghost, skeleton. And it was just, it was right at, I saw it right at the time when I was kind of putting the poems about going through cancer and poems about being a kid together, and it felt like this cyclical kind of, it just felt like I saw it in like, that. That's the one. I have to do whatever I can do to
2: convince
1: to convince her that please let me use this as a cover. And uh, she said yes. And um, it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous little piece.
2: Yeah, I'm
1: mm-hmm. really, um, yeah, honored. She said yeah,
0: yeah. And you, I don't know. Would you like to share more from that book right now, or are you you have? a large list of books and things that have been published. And, and also we haven't talked about what's in HoboCamp Review. I just got all hung up on the name of it. So, you know, I'm going <laughs> to give the hour back to you at that, at this point. Where where would you like to go next, James?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, I got a whole bunch of poems. I got the whole book in front of me. So, I mean, I'd be happy to, you know, try to read another one here. Um, let me... Let me try to find something here. Okay, this one's another one that kind of touches on some childhood memories. Uh, there's there's some that focus just being on just being a kid. Don't have anything to do with being, you know, going through what I went through. Um, and but a lot of them, more and more of them as time went on, begin to balance them. And this is another one that has a little bit of um, a little bit of each. It's called the scary parts. <laughs> six months down the line, only to find that chemo didn't work, and the doctor begins to map out the next six months. But all you heard were the words. Tumors spread to your bones, and the way the sunlight glinting through the tenth story window just off fifty third street cuts dazzling yellow shapes across the wall. Reminding you of the way it did in autumn afternoons on bus rides home, when the sun would set earlier and earlier, the leaves red and gold and brown and gone, and you'd walk that half mile home from the bus stop to the trailer park, your sister lagging behind a little with her friends. But all you wanted was to get home and pull your comforter over your bed off your bed sit on top of the heating grate and create a cocoon of hot air radiating upward, a book in hand, the smell of dinner almost ready, wafting down the long trailer hallway. It's the only place you wanted to be on a chilly November afternoon turning into evening, where if you were good, and if it was a Friday night, your mother would make you homemade chocolate milkshakes with popcorn straight from the big plastic popping machine with the whirring hot air. And she'd let you and your sister and her friends watch gremlins on vhs just so long as you didn't get too scared but you never got too scared did you the scary parts would come later much later and when they did and when they did come you'd bury your hands in your face and sob alone in a studio in queens and wonder how much a train ticket would cost to go north not say a word kiss your mother hello curl up with a book call your sister and ask if she can remember when the good and the bad, ask her to tell you about it, see if her path back to the pines aligns with yours. It won't. It never does. But it helps you some. And soon, you soon understand the only way forward. The only way is forward, full of scary parts, but maybe something more, just as long as you keep going, eyes speaking through your fingers, covering your face, all the way to the end.
0: That's an amazing poem to me, and and you, you explained before you read it that it really was bringing together both childhood experiences and and more recent. But that to me is incredibly beautiful and evocative. I think about you know there there are these little pieces that you know I relate to this, I relate to that from my own experiences. You know, mm-hmm. and and I love that part and and. So that's yeah, that one that one really hits me. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say that you know, you, you you talk a lot about you've mentioned that you know that growing up in a trailer park and it made me think of a part of my own growing up um in the Texas panhandle in a small town with our oh, wow. second first first stepfather who was very alcoholic and abusive and so at a at a later, yeah, it's not um, anyway. So I'm so I'm talking as an as an adult. I'm talking somehow it comes up in conversation with my friend who's, you know, working on her doctorate, and and I'm doing you know good work. where, you know it's we're adults with responsible lives and having fun, and and she said mm-hmm. having horses when she was a kid, you know, and they'd go, you know, and she was talking about the lessons and the stables and all this stuff, and I looked at her and I go. Well, we had horses too, but the difference was we were kind of poor white trash living out in the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: and I hate saying that, but I'm saying it about myself.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, and you know, I, I, you know, I say that to people too. You know, people are well, where do you come from? <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I'm. I like to pride myself in being a little somewhat put together fairly well. And you know, I can, I can clean up and look sharp now and then if I try, but you know, where do you come from? Well, I grew up in a trailer park out in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. And they're like, what the hell? Really? I'm like, yeah, I was a, you know, we even caught, I mean, we even called us, you know, trailer trash kids and people would yell trailer trash at us. And I'm like, really, is that what I am? And, um, And yeah, you know, it's it's where you come from. There's uh, it's 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 hard to see that when you get older. You know, you you can kind of disguise it and hide it, or embrace (laughs) it, or whatever you want, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, it's something I wanted to write about because at the time I really felt like I was at a place like I didn't really feel like I fit in. But I really do embrace growing up where I grew up because Uh now, um, it was a great time, different time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and there's no question that all of our experiences, the hard ones, the fun ones, the dangerous ones, the smart ones, you know, yeah. whatever. They all ones who we are. Right now. And that's yeah. that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Definitely. Yeah. So we're focusing a lot on this new book. I I would like you to tell people a little bit about some of your other work, just for people to get a sense. Um, and how about since HoboCamp review is something that's an ongoing thing, what what kinds of things are in there? sure yeah well you know it started out
1: with um i wanted to utilize a lot of, like travel poetry from the road uh, i used to say it was like you know poems and stories from the road Hubble uh, camper views where you know you 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 traveled all day and now you're sitting at the campfire at night and you tell us where you've been tell us what you've done and um it kind of got to a point where a lot of people were just sending like i would get 50 poems from 50 guys you know oh hobo joe walk down the street and hobo i'm like okay like (laughs) i'm not really looking like i like i i appreciate that you like kind of embrace like that element of it but i was i'm really looking for something very just very genuine and Mm -hmm. and you know tell us about where you've been tell us about what you've seen it doesn't have to be from something dusty and you know with a bindle over your shoulder walking down the highway It just you can come from anywhere you can be anybody you can have any experience but just as long as it's got a little little sparkle and a little dust on it you know it's been beat up a little bit but you, you can polish it off and it's still got something there you know that's what i want to see in and here and, People have sent, I'm amazed at the kind of work people send me and then who's sending me things. And I, I look back on a few early issues recently and I'm like, wow, I published Dana Rash Guzman, like second issue, what the hell? And she was incredible. And Jason Hardung and, and uh, you know, just a lot of just cool writers and artists that, you know, I've had the fortune of seeing kind of like evolve over time and become these incredible human beings and Uh cool it's cool to be a part of that to like feel like yeah. Um not that you're finding them, but you're a part of their journey in some little way. It's it's really awesome.
0: And how often do you do the review? Sure, yeah. Uh it's about
1: three or four times a year. Um, there was a while where I did it three times a year because I was feeling a little lazy and uh, a little busy working on a lot of different projects, but I try to do four issues a year and we read year round. And, you know, our guidelines are online. If you just Google Hobo camp review, you'll find the whole thing. In fact, I used to Google Hobo camp review and all these like reviews of Hobo camp, like RV parks would pop up across <laughs> the Midwest. And um, I remember, I don't know if it was on Google somewhere or some, I remember seeing a comment somewhere saying, is this associated with the poetry thing? And they're like, no, we're an RV. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. I wish I saw the (laughs) screenshot of that, that people are contacting RV parks about trying to submit poetry. And like, I I did that. (laughs) I made that weird incident happen. Um, But no, yeah, we do four times a year. We read year round. And I just... Asked one of my favorite poets, um, Rachel Nix, if she would come aboard and be kind of like an associate editor, and she said yes. Um, I had one for a while, uh, David Morton, but um, and then I did it for by my by myself again for a while. And now Rachel's on board, and so we do a lot of chapbook reviews, interviews, poetry, short oh, fiction.
2: Very um, cool. Yeah.
0: So, listeners, check this out: Hobo Camp Review and. If you get stuck in the hobo camps, you might also add the word blogspot, and that'll probably get you there because the, the URL is hobocampreview.blogspot.com. Yeah, you know, and I thought about for a while getting a real professional
1: site, which is com, And then I thought, you know what, but hobos aren't professional. Who cares if it's <laughs> like a free blog site? I mean, we're just scrubby people yeah. hanging out. Eating beans, writing poems. I'm like, yeah, let's keep it free. Keep it free.
0: I like, it. I like so, it. So you've got that going on year round, and you said you've already done that for nine years, which is a huge tradition. <laughs> and,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm excited about. I'm thinking of doing maybe a 10 year thing, uh, maybe uh-huh. a print thing, but
2: um, we'll see.
0: Yeah. And so there's that. And you mentioned short stories, novels, poetry. So what what are some of the kinds of things that you'd like people to know about?
1: Uh, Sure, yeah. I mean, when it comes to writing fiction, I'm I'm all over the map. Uh, The novels, I've I've written like a mystery and then like a noir kind of throwback thriller. And then I wrote a children's novel and I just, you know, I had plans for a Western at one point that kind of fizzled out and now I'm kind of turning that into a neo-noir type, modern crime thing with the exact same plot I wrote for like a Western I wanted to do. Yeah. And I thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, but I just finished a novel and I've been sending it out to agents, uh, about, um, about a natural missing person case uh, that took place in Bennington, Vermont in 1945 a young college girl went missing um, while she was hiking one afternoon and it was, it was a you know nationwide story. there was a big search they never found anything and there were all these odd mysterious elements to it.
2: Uh-huh. You know, people
1: thought she was kidnapped, or she ran away, and and uh, her her father hired two out of state detectives to come in and to, like pick up the trail. And they discovered that over like a seven year period, like five more people disappeared in the same area. And yeah. and so I wrote a fictional account of that actual um, investigation and disappearance series of disappearances in Bennington, Vermont, back then. And it kind of has a cool like Humphrey Bogart meets twin peaks meets x files kind of thing going on and it's mm-hmm. um it was a lot of fun to write and um and i'm working on an apocalypse novel right now that's actually based on a short story i wrote my last short story collection is a book called what lies in wait um there was a lot of like eerie horror type short stories um, there's a few end of the world apocalypse stories. And one of those stories I've decided I'm going to try to turn into a full length novel. People kept saying, yeah, but what happens next? That should have been longer. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. People keep saying that I'm going to do it. So I'm going to do it.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, to me that's the dilemma of reading short stories, man. If they're good, I don't want them to end. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. There's some you're like, okay, good. That one ended. On to the next one. But every now and then, yeah, you're like, wait, no, 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 no. Come back. Where's yeah. more? So yeah. I'm gonna to try.
0: Yeah. So you you're working on this novel getting published, and and I'm I don't know if you have any any tips to share about that because my impression is that getting novels published is a whole different world than poetry it's it's
1: a different ball game it's like you feel like you're becoming like a really good writer you're getting a lot published it's like Mm -hmm. it's like being a pro baseball player and suddenly they're like all right you know oh you want to get a novel published and put on this gear you're now in the nfl um you're like wait what it's 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 Totally different. It's it's like a second job trying to find I mean, writing the thing is fun and that's the easy part. Um, sitting down and knocking out uh, you know, thousand were a hundred, you know, a full novel is actually it's difficult. It has its challenges, but getting it published is the hard part. Mm-hmm. Finding an agency is the hard thing. And I even worked for writer's digest magazine for a while. Uh, I was a book acquisitions editor for them for their publishing division. And I worked with agents and I met them talking to them all the time. And even in that position, I was having the hardest time getting anybody to even read anything. And mm-hmm. so even if you have a leg up, you it's, it's a massive challenge. And, um, my friend, uh, Allie Malinenko, um, who's a great poet, who was also pu- published in the uh, punk press uh, by Epics Right. And uh, her work is great. She was telling me the other day that, you know, that she had an agent at one point and then that got dropped. Somehow something happened at the agency. And then she's, you know, it took her a couple of years to find another one. And then she found one. And now it's been like a year long process or something where she's been working with this agent. And it's just just getting one doesn't mean you're done. I mean, it's it's just another step it's it's hard it's a lot of work so i mean if i were to advise somebody out there saying you know i've got a novel written definitely finish the thing first don't don't reach out to anybody unless until it's done because you're wasting your time at that point but just keep trying keep going there's all sorts of um, agency listings online you know do your research Um, keep plugging away don't send it to one at a time some of them say exclusive only you know just keep sending it out there you gotta find somebody um if that's what you want to do you gotta put the work in and it's gonna be a lot of work but Uh what else are you gonna do just you know yeah get a real job i don't know not me (laughs) well i shouldn't say that i do have a real job but i mean you know that's the dream get a novel published so
0: yeah yeah you're doing an amazing amount of writing and work towards writing and elevating your own and other people's writing. That's you kind know, of. I try.
1: I certainly wish I had a social life to pair with that, but uh, it's nice. <laughs> that, it's nice that I have the time to write. Um, I definitely carve out as much time as I can. And uh, I like to keep myself busy with a few different projects at once. It's, I start to feel a little bored if I don't have anything going on. So. Uh-huh. And And I do feel like for me, I've gotten to the point in my life, and that's why I started Hobo Camp Review too, was that I didn't want to just write for myself. I love the feeling of telling somebody, this piece is awesome and I gotta share it with everybody. And publishing that and seeing people like share, like, Oh my god, I just got this published in Hubble Camp Review. That's so thrilling to me. That's more thrilling to me than me telling people I just got this poem published in, you know in this magazine and I mean because you know great as that feels seeing someone else be excited that you like their piece enough to publish it like blows that away so uh-huh. it's great. awesome
0: so you're in a great position being both a writer and an editor of this of review Camp Review that you, that you
1: yeah respond. you know it gives me a little bit of an insight you know and I know a lot of other editors are writers too but when you're both um, you know you know what it's like to be rejected so you try to be <laughs> You, you try to be a little gentle with it. And, um, you know, you, you, you know, if I can be encouraging or give advice, I, I I'll try, but I'm also super crazy busy. So sometimes I'm not, a, not able to, but I think it's cool when editors have that perspective or writers have that perspective of, you know, they do both. Um, uh-huh.
0: So do you have other work that you would like to read today? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. You know, I don't have other poetry outside of this new one ready because I just have the the book with me. But, um, let me see if I can dig something up that's maybe,
2: um, all right. Well, how about this one?
1: This one's a little, (laughs) I almost said uplifting and then I realized it's about somebody who's has terminal cancer. So it's probably not that uplifting. it's called absolution. Okay. The nurse trailed after the little bald girl with an IV on a rolling metal stand. And the girl sat and began drawing misshapen egg people with fat markers that smelled of cherries and orange and mint, which reminded me of first grade and homemade Christmas cards in December. The little bald girl with the IV drew a rainbow above her smiling egg shaped people. And the nurse asked her what she was drawing. She said, she said, When my friends come see me, they all look so sad. So I'm drawing them happy because I want them to be happy, even when I'm gone. Somewhere else in this universe, someone is rushing his wife off to the hospital. Someone is writing a letter and staring at it and throwing it away as they begin to sob. Because their car broke down. Somewhere, parents stare through a living room window at their children building a snowman smoke in lonely bedrooms at night no radio no hope fuck it all somewhere there's a rainbow overhead too drawn by a little girl in the grips of the insurmountable smiling at all of us absolving everything all of it whether we deserve it or not
0: that's beautiful
1: yeah that was um an intense moment i was sitting in a waiting room and um In a a day room, I guess, at at, uh, Sloan Kettering in New York City. And this little girl came out and she couldn't have been more than four or five. And her nurse was with her and they were just drawing. And she said that literally, I will never forget, you know, she's drawing them happy. because She wants them to be happy even when she's gone to know at that age that you might not be there in a year. I mean, it might've just been something she just said off the cuff, but I mean, wow I just I just started like welling up right then and I just like I gotta I gotta write something about that that's
2: intense
0: and that's you know it's like God, what a wise young person and we need to embrace those things you know we need I in in my friendships and in my social work stuff I you know sometimes I talk to people who are so worried about this person's gonna die, blah blah blah. You know, it's like, well, let's back up. You know, one and and I, I know this takes people back, but the truth is, we don't know who's gonna die first. You know, people get hit yeah. by cars. Random things happen, as well as things that we know are leading to someone's death. So, we don't know who's gonna die first. But the the worry uh, that you're having in advance, to me, is about you. You love this person. So how about instead of spending the energy being worried about how things are going to turn out, instead of spending it that way, spend the time doing cool stuff, interacting with this person, you know, it's like, exactly. have, more memories, yeah. do more living, don't just be focused on what may happen afterwards, you know, it's like, gosh, what a, what a gift we give to each other when when we suck it up and go, yeah, this is hard but we can do this and I'm going to have the minutes I can with you while we're both here.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, a lot of people, you know, the greatest fear is dying and, and, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, running down the street to go make it happen, but I'm, I, you know, my greatest fear has always been the people that I like I'm terrified at the day when the day comes when like, you know, luckily I still have both my parents and I have all my siblings, but it's going to happen at some yes. point or another. And yes. that fear and terror, like it, I don't sit around stewing about it, but it drives me to, and I don't always follow through because we're human, but you know, if I have a bad day or a bad interaction with like a family member, I have that thought in my head. Like, you don't know, you don't know if they're going to be there in the morning. So uh-huh. I try to, you know, if I go visit family and on my way home, I think did I leave that, right did <laughs> did we have an okay time or like am I going to regret being mad at this person and if they're not here tomorrow and mm-hmm. like I said I don't always follow through on it but it's in my mind that you know we have to who's a bonnet said you got to be kind to each other babies or something like that and I mean it's true I mean you've got to you only have this time and you really got to like try to make it work yeah um because I'm not afraid of like my time running out and that's the end for me. My I'm afraid of everyone else's time runs out and I'm still here. Yeah. And I'm dreading that, but yeah. I gotta compensate by trying to you know fill it up with good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because and I and it's funny because I I suppose it's more my <clears throat> poet friends who seem open to those kinds of conversations and and probably because of who the poets who I connect the most with, you know, that that are, that this this thing about embrace life while we have it, you know? And yeah, that's, not, yeah. that's not about being selfish and callous to other people. It's about having really good experiences with people. It's, you know, doing things with the people that we love, whatever kind of communication that we can have, you know, because yeah. obviously we're not all in the same vicinity to to be face-to-face but you know when you're close enough to be face-to-face with people be face-to-face do not just I I have one friend and I've said this other times but man it's like I will tell him you know you live freaking seven minutes from me by car I will not spend an hour talking to you on the phone (laughs) right no exactly you know
1: you're right down the road come on Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very true. And, and, you know, I've got, I've had the, I don't want to say misfortune, but it's been difficult that, uh, my family has been split up since I was a very little kid. I've got a lot of family down South. I got a lot of family in upstate New York and I've traveled around a lot in my life. So most of my closest friends live away from me. So everybody, I'm just, you know, I, I have to call them or text or I just feel like I'm constantly trying to keep in touch with all these people that are really far away. But when you can when you can get a little bit out of your way and see them face to face, it's just golden. It's it, it's it it's so much better um, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And so you have times with people and you have. Lots of time writing,
2: I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, I don't have I uh, I don't have a huge circle of friends where I live right now. So uh, everyone's far away. So that, that actually gives me a lot of time to write. So it's a, it's a good thing, bad thing. But uh-huh. uh, I, I do my best to try to keep in touch with people and uh-huh. uh, and to keep writing. That's yeah. the important thing, keep writing. Yeah. yeah, yeah I never can- worry about not having something to write, I worry about not being able to finish it all. And I'm never going to be able to finish it all. But, you know, I I want to do as much as I can, even if nobody reads it. You know, I'd rather say I spent 40 years of my life working on 10 novels nobody read than, you know, sitting there saying, well, yeah, I watched every rerun of, you know, MASH 18 times. But, <laughs>
2: Seriously?
0: You oh know,
1: I, I mean, I have nothing against MASH. MASH is fun, but, you know, uh, whatever. But yeah, I just... But- it's, things people do. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I want to be, you know, I, I when I work for Writer's Digest, uh, like I said, in the book division, I, I worked with a, a writer who was like uh, writing a nonfiction book about the publishing industry. And they were like, if you're not writing to get published and, and you know, profit off of it, there's no point in you writing. And I, I stopped, like, uh-huh. as I was reading, I was like proofing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa Okay. That's not true at all because I would rather spend you know, like I said, ten years of my life right working on a novel that made me happy when I was finished. If somebody read it, awesome. If I made money off of it, double awesome. But uh-huh. I was happy doing that. I actually just decided to kill a novel that I spent the last ten years working on because it's not working out. Uh-huh. There's too many plot holes I keep trying to cover up with band aids that aren't that <laughs> keep getting ripped off. And it's just it's just inherently not working but I love the story and I love the characters they mean so much to me and I'm fine with setting it aside because that was time well spent for me
2: uh-huh.
1: so I think that's a thing people forget it doesn't always have to be monetized you know uh-huh. we're, writing, we're writing because it's our passion it's what we love to do it makes us happy that happiness is more important
0: <laughs> that's wonderful and I hope people are hearing that you know that that it really is about doing things that make you happy first, you know. It's it's how you feel about things, and not in a selfish way, but in in that enjoyment of of life way. And then sometimes that that extends and it gets shared with other people who also really love it, and that's that's a bonus. You know, and, and of course, as a, as a writer, as you're saying, you know, when things get sold, that's yet yeah, another bonus. But that's not that's not the purpose of the writing. The purpose is this expression and feeling really good about what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. A 100 percent right. Yeah.
0: And, and so here we are. You know, we're actually at the end of the hour, basically. This. Okay been a wonderful conversation with James H. Duncan and some of the poems from his upcoming book, We Are All Terminal, But This Exit Is Mine, which is coming from Unknown Press, um, hopefully the first week of November, if not Halloween, sometime very soon. And I will always encourage listeners, buy books as close as you can to the source, so, you know, check out jameshduncan.com website for how you can buy that. Check out Unknown Press. Check out your local independent bookseller. See if they can get it. Do all those kinds of things before you just start with Amazon. <laughs> Ooh,
2: see the big A word. <laughs>
1: exactly. No, yeah, the dreaded A word. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you letting me yes. read some of the poems from the book.
0: Yeah, it's a blast. And you do have a lot of of your work um, links to to your work on your website. People can see a variety of books that have been published and are available from James H. Duncan. Um, the new one coming up soon. Um, we, you know, you're in in New York. I'm in Kansas. I, I assume that on your website. Times when you're actually going to be reading someplace where people can hear you in person that you would uh, share information about that as well when there are special events.
1: Um, Definitely, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I've done a really bad job of lining up readings over the next few months. I don't have a lot going on,
0: but I mean, whatever. It's okay. Yeah, I'll find something. I'll go okay. hit a
1: few open mics. Why not? Right.
0: I'll get there. Good. Thank you so much. I've been really no, enjoying my and can hardly wait to read this book. Thanks. Thank you very much. And so long to our listeners.